Oh, that's wonderful. That, that seems like a perfect way to start. Does, does that not? <laughs> oh, dude, it's really nice for you to be back. Can I just say? I'm, on- thrilled, I'm thrilled to be back. I just saw a giant turkey walk across the, 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 the window. It was, it's exciting to be here. It's just... There's wildlife. There's Kyle. There's the Warriors game on the, uh, the iPad. Yeah, cur- this, currently in commercial. This is a certified hang. Talking golf playoff basketball on in the background several beers cracked i mean this is ladies and gentlemen this is how life is supposed to be lived ladies and gentlemen and probably mostly gentlemen <laughs> understanding the demographics of the golf industry but hopefully more ladies uh you should have heard all the honesty that that we were dropping in here before we turned the mics on <laughs> because you know we we still you know care about our standing in in the industry in the community so we we couldn't record that part but we had a great time, and now we're about to have a, a, an even greater time on the air. It's true. And you are free to speculate about whatever we were talking about. We won't be sharing it with you, so... Most of it was actually positive today. Yeah. That's not always the case. A relatively positive day. We're talking about each other's golf games a little bit. So, just if anybody is actually curious, and us personally, which is, you know, highly unlikely... Uh, Got a lesson not too long ago? Golf game's feeling okay? I got a lesson not too long ago. I think I'm going to share something with people that they're going to relate to right now. Is Please. That whenever I get a golf lesson, I hit it like a beast. It, it's so good. I'm, I'm Literally, the advice that I got at the end of my lesson was keep striping it. <laughs> that is not helping me because then I go out two days <laughs> later. That is some encouraging shit. <laughs> I go out two days later and I hit it like a fucking dog. So here's the thing, though. And I, I think you when you were talking a little bit before you're like you almost kind of wish you weren't hitting it quite so good so when you go out to practice the next time you have something to build up towards what i'm saying is is that that, is that fair what i'm saying is that evidently listeners let us know evidently there's some psychological thing that goes on where i rise to the occasion when i have some kind of spectator and when i don't i'm back to being my real golf self which is totally raggedy and uh, inconsistent. I need the I need the pressure. I need some sort of pressure to play my best. You need your instructor to be your caddy. And obviously, he's there. You know, fix. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I had a caddy all the time who was a teaching pro, then it might be good. Shit would be pretty good. It would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I really do need one of those like LPGA caddies to line me up when I putt and stuff. I mean, if I had that, I would be a really excellent golfer. <laughs> Uh, see, you see, my, a, you see a few of the PGA guys do that now. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's the thing: is like, you would hope that those guys were out there carrying bags. I mean, for the most part, they're all tremendously good golfers. Yeah, they've got good advice. You know, like why, why but not you, use the aid if you have it available? I, yeah, I guess that maybe some of them lack knowledge of the golf swing or teaching ability, but I bet most of them have it. Hmm. If you're a caddy, you probably are a good teacher because all you're doing is trying to explain stuff and persuade. Yeah, your player. Yeah, and so if you if you can do that, then you can probably be a coach too. Well, the, the same thing happened, and I, I actually, as a guy who was like a caddy on summer vacation for several years, like in high school and like the first year or two of college, the last time that I had my own caddy, really the only time I've ever had a caddy just on my bag for eighteen holes, it became incredibly obvious that one, I was not a good caddy at all despite what I thought about myself, and two, that those guys legitimately are teachers. And they are, if they're good, they are really fucking good at what they do. Because I was asking them questions about yard, so the caddy at this particular club, at Cypress Point. Yeah, go but, ahead. but here's the thing, there's no range finders allowed out there, okay? It, it's it's so one, interesting. It, it's a local rule. There's no range finders allowed anywhere on Cypress. When I, when I showed up and pulled in the parking lot, I had the rangefinder still attached to my my bag. I knew there was a no rangefinder rule, so I was going to plan on you know taking my bag off and then taking it off my bag and putting it in there. The gentleman, who I might I add was extremely kind, like every single person who works at Cypress, and came, came over to the bag. He goes, "Sir, I'd just like to really strongly urge you to take that off your bag before we bring it over to the golf shop." And I was like, "You got it, man. Absolutely, I'll take it off." So no rangefinders. They could have told you, you know. Please pull your pants down and <laughs> bend over. It's time for an examination. How fast? Yeah, exactly. That's what. That's the answer at Cypress. <laughs> at, at what position on my shins would you like me to hold the, way, the waist right. of my pants Yeah, up? exactly. <laughs> and so like, I walk in, and I meet my, my caddy, and 
he's amazing. Like, not only is he, like, a really cool dude, um, but he's just really fucking good at what he does. He's giving me the right yardages. And a couple holes in, I start asking him. I say, hey, so, you know, if I if I was here, if I was a certain skill level, would you be throwing me different yardages? He's like, absolutely. Yeah. He's like, absolutely. I, I, I give everybody the same yardages on the first hole, really, at least for the tee shot on number one. And every single shot I watch you hit, I learn a little bit more about your game. If I notice you start underclubbing things, I start giving you long yardages. I do anything I need to do to get your head in the right position where you're not thinking about your swing or the yardages. You're just going out there trying to hit balls. He's like, I, I give people yardages and give people plays on a wide spectrum based on their ability. And I just thought to myself, I was like, damn, in four years, I was never, never that good. Now, granted, to his, his defense, he had been catting out there since he was like 17. I mean, he was... He is what you would call a professional caddy. He was fucking awesome. And I can only imagine that most of the guys that are out there at a, either that club or a club of that caliber are probably pretty pretty damn good and I would hope would take their job as seriously as that guy did because he was fucking awesome. Matt, you are the man. Yeah, I mean, a lot of time you have to trick people into doing the right thing by themselves. Yeah, and, and he was a master of it. Yeah. An absolute master. So, And that's what you're paying for, really. Yeah. But I thought that was, but no. that's impressive. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've caddied casually in, in amateur tournaments for friends, very limited experience. And I, perhaps I did some of that. Like it, it, it wasn't so much understanding their, his golf tendencies as much as it was understanding his mental tendencies. Cause mm-hmm. they, it's the same thing. Right. Like if you know that you have a player who takes too many risks or let's say he takes too many risks, then you give him. Uh, a more dramatic representation of uh, the danger of something mm-hmm. than it really is because sure. you know he should properly evaluate it and you know not do it or whatever the case may be right. so no caddying is a really interesting skill and I uh, have a lot of respect for it because it, it does combine so many of those aspects of it uh, psychology certainly and we didn't get to the teaching part the guys were like hey I know you're doing like this little thing like try this out like, and if you're a good enough player, you could do that. Although I think you'd have to get a good read on your player on how receptive they would be to yeah, a lot accepting of them, advice. Yeah, you, know, you don't want to bruise their prob- egos. Yeah, that's probably something you wouldn't want to do until you're pretty comfortable with your player or whatever that might be. But, man, because as I'm talking to him, I'm just like, dude, I never did that. Like, as a caddy, I just always tried to do as good a job as I could of giving my players good yardages and good angles. Yeah, you're like the computer. Yeah. You had, like, a computer caddy mentality. It, exactly. And I was like, you know what? All I want to do is tell you what your yardage is, front edge, pin, back edge, if there's anything you need to avoid, and the angle I, I, I want you to take. Yeah. You know, whether you choose to follow it or listen to it is up to you. But I just want to make sure that whatever I'm telling you is accurate. Whereas this guy's like, it doesn't have to be accurate. It just needs to be what you need to hear. That's that's the next level. Do you think that the caddy profession is kind of on the ropes? A little bit with, uh, you know, range finders and these Segway looking carts where, you know, not only can you put your clubs on a cart, but you can have it move itself. Mm. Uh, hoverboard type stuff where you can move faster than, you know, you would on foot. And obviously the expense of it. Sure. Uh, I think yes and no. I think the private clubs out there that have caddies currently it's very unlikely they'll ever not have Well, their caddies. entire business model is based on resisting change. <laughs> Which is fine. That's that why, is, we, love, that that's why right. we love those places. I, I will say, though, I think it's one of those things that you never get a chance to have a caddy unless you're at a really high-end, luxurious, often private golf club, and you're willing to drop some buku bucks on a caddy. However, for like me, someone who was a caddy but never had their own caddy for a round of golf, when I finally had one, it really clicked, and I was like, dude... This does make golf way more fun. Here's an interesting question, and it, it goes exactly to that point. Okay. You were a caddy for many years, sure. or for, for a long time, yeah, several yeah. years. Yeah. And yet, when you had your own caddy, it was still a huge difference. Like, you can't caddy for yourself because you, don't, you can't see yourself objectively. Right. It's a classic human tendency. And uh, it... it you know, not going to get too far afield here, but that's what they say about about being a lawyer is that never be your own lawyer. Any lawyer who represents himself has an idiot for a client. 
and <laughs> that's, that's, and it's that's so true. Great. Like you could represent somebody else, great, but then when it comes time to represent yourself, you fucking suck because you you can't see past your own biases, right? And I will say this: I think there is a small to, to answer your question before that. I think there is a small chance that caddies do become more popular. Um, I wish, God, for the life of me, I wish I could really remember the name of the golf course outside of Denver. But whatever the Colorado Golf Association, their home course, it's like a, a muni public course owned, kind of like Poppy Hills is owned by the NCGA. Right. Um, the Colorado Golf Association owns um, a golf course outside of Denver, and it has a caddy program. And it's for, like, the youth. It's so it's basically, they subsidize um, the caddy. So anybody coming to play this golf course, they pay nothing to have a caddy. It's complimentary with your green fee. These kids get, like, a stipend of, like, 200 bucks like, every week or two. They show up to the golf course and hang around, enjoy themselves for the day. If someone shows up, they can tip them out, but they just get, like, a, a flat fee. It's for 15, 16, 17-year-old kids. If they do it for a summer and they complete like a certain program, then they get fed into one of the big private clubs that actually has a legitimate caddy program and it guarantees them a job for like their senior year of high school and then the summers between college and also makes them eligible for the Evans scholarship, which is like, you know, the Danny Noonan type caddy scholarship, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so it's like a interesting program that they've used kind of the way that the NCJ has that youth on course program where they subsidize greens fees for kids under 18. So if you're under 18 years old, you can go by – I wish I knew more details. I'm kind of talking out of my ass right now. Um, but, you know, you pay like a small fee per year. Maybe it's 20 30 even 50 bucks. Who cares? But when you have that card, if you're under 18 years old, you can go to any participating NCGA youth on course facility and play 18 holes for $5. That's great. So it's, it's a great thing. It's kind of encouraging the youth to play more golf in Northern California. They took that same kind of principle and applied it to caddies in Colorado where they're subsidizing it to get people to understand, yo, that make caddies really kick ass. Like it yeah. almost makes the golf itself more. Now they won't carry as many beers as a golf cart will, you know, they won't, you know, can you, can you make a, ably, you can know, you make a 15 year old store as many doobies, can, but I mean, it's like, can you make a 15 year old caddy carry all the beer? Yeah. That's no problem with that. Well, it's where, where does your moral compass stand? It's not about morality. It's about the law. <laughs> I don't know about that. Like I know that waitresses have to be like eighteen that's, or twenty-one. That's 21. actually a good point. I hadn't thought about that. That's a good, good question. Well, I had one super kick-ass uh, player um, up at my common where I used to caddy who would never bring out three guests. He would always have his group be a threesome, but right. they'd always have four bags, and he'd always, you know, have this task of second caddy pay a full bag fee. For a fourth bag that was just filled with beers. Boy, that is that is a decadent lifestyle. Respect. Yeah, exactly. Respect. Oh my god. Well, you know, this is also not a golf point, but it, this apprenticeship program it sounds pretty cool. Like, you know, it's it's some pocket money for for teenagers who presumably you know are still with their parents. Yeah, and, all and they stuff. might not have another you know job or it's 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 and a it's, and it's a skill. It's a profession. Yeah. And even if you don't end up being a caddy. For a long time in your adulthood, it does it does teach you skills that are applicable in other jobs. For sure, uh, so that's good. But I just uh, went to a, a an event not too long ago where a businessman was complaining, and he's in a uh, you know a manufacturing type industry that one of the big problems and the reason that he can't find anybody to do the job is that these older teenagers, like 16, 17 year olds. Uh, are prohibited from doing a lot of these kinds of work by, you know, different laws. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all know that those laws originated to, you know, beat back child labor back in the factories and a lot of abuses. But it's interesting how, you know, you have to make sure that things are done carefully so people can still learn. And, you know, if the schools aren't doing it, and that, that would be nice. But that kind of on-the-job training is great. If you're going to go into, uh, you know, not go to college necessarily or go to college later and you want to develop a skill in a, in a trade or a craft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty good. And also, I just found out because I looked at uh, an interview that we did in Volume 19, Issue 2 of Golf Guide Magazine with Rob Rigg, the guy who founded the, uh, the Walking Golfer Society. He's the one that originally kind of told me about this program. It's at a golf course called Common Ground in Denver. 
It sounds like a communist golf course. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it is designed by Tom Doak. Public, you know, I'm ex- on, easily I'm, accessible I'm, Tom Doak I'm, golf course. I'm all in favor of it. I know. Speak, okay, speaking of which, before we jump into something else, uh, we had our inaugural Chapman Classic at Edna Springs yeah, last know. weekend, which I know yeah. you were busy, so you weren't able to make it, but I got to tell you, the golf course, as you would expect, so was buttery. That is a good segue into something that I saw on Zillow the other day. Interesting. I'm pretty sure I saw a listing. And and so if I, I was mistaken, you know, this is just my... I hope I know where you're going, so continue. Well, this is just my, you know, my my quick take of what I saw on there. I don't want to make this out as a representation about the, the condition of anything. And everybody who's listening should investigate independently. And for all I know, it's gone by now. I saw this like a week ago. But I do believe that I saw a $45 million asking price for the the property. You are correct. Okay. It is for sale. Is that good or bad? I think it's good. I think it is. there's a good chance that whoever ends up buying the golf course may try to continue the plan that I believe... It, I, I've been given various names, but the one I've heard most commonly is Getty, the Getty family. Okay. They are the ones that redid the golf course and built that clubhouse back in like 2006, 2007. So if anybody doesn't know, Etna Springs Golf Course is this incredible nine-hole golf course in northern Napa County. It's not in the actual Napa Valley. It's one valley over um, to the east from Napa Valley in a place called Pope Valley. You know, it's maybe from St. Helena, which is, you know, one of the northern posh towns in the Napa Valley, maybe 35 minutes northeast, okay? It's this sensational nine-hole golf course. It's been around since the 1880s, 1890s that was redone by Tom Doak. In 2006, 2007, they poured like $11 million just into redoing this nine-hole golf course, which is like three to four times what you really needed to. But they wanted to have it the best do it and turn it into one of the most premier nine-hole resort golf courses ever. They built a $20 million clubhouse for this little nine-hole golf course that would rival any clubhouse you'll find at any kick-ass private golf club anywhere in the Bay Area. Um, that's been built in like the last 60 years. And the plan was they were going to create a competitor for Meadowood, which is, you know, Meadowood has a three Michelin star restaurant at it. Yeah. It has a nine hole, beautiful golf course. All right. It's like the creme de la creme. Derek Jeter got married there last year and spent about 3 million bucks to have a tiny little intimate wedding at Meadowood. What's Derek Jeter getting married for? Well, he found, now that he's in his 40s, he found a really tasty little 26-year-old Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. But in 10 years, she's going to be 36. You upgrade. You, you, you upgrade. That's that's what the pre... You're a lawyer. Not you, that you anybody, know what the prenup's all about. Not that anybody should think that way, but, you know, Derek By all Jeter, accounts, his a wife seems womanizer. very sweet. Obviously, she's a smoke show. So, I mean, you know, who, who knows? Maybe she lasts two decades. That would be great. Wow. I hope for her sake, since she's carrying a little Jeter in her right now, that... They'll be around together forever. But, but Meadowood Meadow Meadow is a notorious wedding location yeah. for the, the highly tasteful. Well, I do. I have a good friend, uh, a good childhood friend who works at Meadowood and in the events department. And they said, or and she said, or he said, I don't want to give her identity away. Weddings at Meadowood start at a million. Oh, my God. That's, that can't be the case. It's absolutely the case. They start at a million That's dollars. That's a little high. Fuck yeah, it's high. Dude, you can't get a room at Meadowood for less than $1,100 a night. Why would you pay a million dollars to celebrate what's fundamentally a mistake? <laughs> because if you're in a good relationship, you could pretty much just stay with that person and not get married. So uh, That was fantastic. No offense. I know you're getting married soon. It's a present company excluded. Oh, amazing. So anyway, I digress. So Edna Springs was being developed as a rival to Meadowood by the Getty family. They chose to do the golf club first, build a clubhouse, and then they were going to redo all the old lodging. Because it was like an old resort back in the early 20th century. It has, but everything is in desperate need of updating, repairs, etc. So, as they're doing this, as they're building the nine-hole Tom Doak golf course, they buy another piece of property on the other side of the valley. Tom Doak goes and lays out an 18-hole championship golf course on the other side of the valley. So, when this development is complete, they're going to have the resort with all the lodging, the restaurants, the recreational activities, the nine-hole golf course. And then they're also going to have another 
18-hole Tom Doak Private Championship Golf Course a five to ten minute drive away that you can take the shuttle to go play while you're staying at the resort. I'm getting a real physical thrill in my in myself listening to this. So, listen to this timing though. So, the board of supervisors for Napa. Uh, I don't know would it be for Pope Valley or for this the county of Napa. It'd be the county. The county of Napa board of supervisors shut down the 18 hole golf course project. They say, uh, uh-uh. uh, too too many people coming in and out of Pope Valley. The residents up there don't want to have that much going on to which every golfer who hears that just says you fucking idiots like what what are you you thinking there's very little going on there now there could be something going on there there. could be something going on there so the board of supervisors cuts down the 18 hole tom doak golf course that was scheduled to go on up there two months later the fall of 2008 happens yeah all the money that was going to go into you know making the resort what it was gets sapped up it goes dry and so basically the clubhouse the 20 million dollar little clubhouse they built for this nine hole golf course and this ultra lush nine hole golf course is finished and nothing else is so that's all you have up there there's no like lodging and that's why Edna Springs is as buttery as it is today it's because they built this thing to be catered you know to people who are coming to spend ten thousand dollars for a weekend vacation and they wanted to make sure that the golf course and the clubhouse was up to snuff. That's why it's as awesome as it is. Yeah. I mean, they they very smartly and, and you know, you can't criticize them for it at all. They, they've sort of exercised some sanity when it comes to the course conditions. The greens are fabulous. It, it's incredibly playable at all times. But it's not in Bandon-type conditions. No, no, no. Right. Nor, nor should it be. It doesn't get that kind of support. But the clubhouse... The, the fundamentals of this place. It is a, a breathtakingly awesome place to play golf. It's beyond fantastic. It is terrific. It's my f- favorite nine-hole course beyond a shadow of a doubt. Yeah. And I like Northwood. I like a lot of our local nine-holers, but mm-hmm. um, this one is the best one. It's, it's special. doesn't so, quite do it justice. So what is your belief about what the purchaser will do? That's a really interesting question. So I think now they're finally selling it. I I've heard I'm the super, price tag was forty million, but forty five million sounds about right too. What I am a little bit concerned about is, and this is just speculation. I know nothing about it, but that it seems like it would be more likely that it would be sold privately. So the fact that it was listed, um, maybe that was just. I was a little surprised to hear you say that it was on Zillow. I was actually just going to go and look to see who had it listed as a practicing. California real estate agent. That's right. Yeah. Think of Kyle Serlo next time you're buying. What's, your the, commi- what's the commission on $45 million? Well, the standard commissions, I, I, I practice residential real estate. I don't know how different it is for commercial because I would assume that is being sold as a commercial property. I'm sure. I'm sure. But by and large, the seller is the one who pays the commission. Um, it's usually 5 to 6% of the sales price, and that's split between the buying and selling agents. So each agent on either side can usually expect a two and a half to three percent commission of what the total sales price is do you think that brokers and agents are as necessary in the day and age of the internet now because of my other profession i there's a a very real answer that i should have for this but i will say it's actually more dependent on the people who are buying and selling i think if you are really really sharp and you know um, where to go for certain resources, I think people can be completely capable of buying or selling a home without an agent. Uh, I don't think it's 100% necessary like it once was. But that being said, I think the majority of people are better off with an agent, somebody who's experienced, because, dude, that shit is stressful. Mm-hmm. It's emotional. People freak the fuck out when they're buying and selling a house. It's, we were just talking before the podcast. It's the single biggest asset they will ever have. And they get crazy emotional, protective, awkward, weird, rude with people when it comes to their most prized, valuable possession. And they need, usually need really some counsel for somebody to be like, yo, this is how it's got to be. Like, let me sit here and hold your hand and I'll help you. I have to, you know, not to, not to fuck your shit up. It's all right. I've got to let the listeners know that an attorney can pretty much figure out that you won't get fucked on sure. one of these things absolutely you know you gotta weigh the pros and cons hey but you should have somebody help you i'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. and here's the thing if you're selling a home it'd be much more enticing 
to think about going that attorney route because if you're buying a home you don't know shit about it well not only that but if you're buying a home you don't pay the commission so it doesn't matter right the 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 commission but comes it gets out of, put into the purchase price does it not <sighs> yes and no i mean so essentially the way it works is and we've gone way off topic here but i'll just do it quickly Every, everyone who's listening to this, this podcast loves real estate the agent who's selling who's representing the <laughs> seller is the only person that gets a commission and they the selling agent pays the agent who represents the buyers okay so if you're buying a home there's literally no downside to having an agent with you if you're selling that actually process is a little bit more complex so you could have an uh, an agent but if you have a really good attorney I know dozens of people who have bought and sold homes without representation from an agent, but they've had a good attorney who helped them navigate the paperwork and put it through. Yeah. So it's okay either way. Both ways work. Both so ways long work. as you pay somebody like me or Kyle. Correct. That is the right way to do it. Correct. If you don't pay us, <laughs> it's the wrong way to do it. That's not a solicitation or advertisement. Let's move on. By the way, so, this sort of portion of the Golf Guide podcast brought to you by Kyle Serlo. Oh, my God. Webbing. Oh, my God. Anyway. All right, forget that. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I, everybody. My only concern is that I just want Etna Springs to stay as I want, a golf I want course that I can stay. play at, and I know that they're they're conceptualizing it as a resort, and you know, green fees will go up hopefully in that. But I still want to be able to play it somehow. I would be shocked if it was bought by somebody who then privatized it. I, I, I would. Why would you be shocked? Just because you don't think there's the base for it? I don't think so. No, yeah, I mean, it, it does make more my, sense as a resort. My, my thing, yeah, my thing is, I think there's a good chance they could continue those plans that they had before. Maybe not to the scale of like a Meadowood competitor, but like a nice family destination resort that has a it's cool like kick-ass nine-hole golf it's course. It's like a more down-to-earth Meadowood. Yeah. Like I've seen Meadowood and stuff, and I'm, I would love to dine in the restaurant, but mm -hmm. it's a little bit too too much for even if I had a lot more money than I have, which is none. But even if you have a lot of money, you still might not have enough to go to Meadowood. Yeah. It's you know what I mean? Yeah. There's a pretty limited market for that. And and it's very over the top. It's very tasteful and everything. I don't want to criticize Meadowood. Meadowood is kick-ass. It's, it's a great let's, place. Yeah, let's, but, let's not you know split hairs here. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. But there's room for a place that is a little bit more reasonable. Sure. And uh, I don't think that, you, that Aetna takes a back seat in terms of beauty to the Meadowood area. I don't think so either. I, I think Etna Springs is every bit as beautiful as Meadowood. And Etna Springs would be a fantastic place to get married. Yeah. yeah. Really, it a really great, would. great wedding venue. It is a great wedding venue. And that clubhouse, even they need as to, it is now, is and I'm spectacular. And sure I'm sure that they've done plenty of weddings out there, but if they haven't, they need to do that. because The only could, tough part is that it's so far away from pretty much anything, and since there's no lodging there, there yet, is a full restaurant kitchen there. There is. Though, is but, there not? But you'd have to bus people in from somewhere else and then bus them out, which yeah, is not the worst thing. That's what everybody does anyway with weddings. Yeah. That's true. Or you could just direct some of those glam tents. Or you get everybody staying in beautiful, glorious Middletown, California, which is just a short 20-minute drive. I like Middletown. Middletown's great. Yeah. And you Adam Springs Golf Course right up the road, which is supposed to be pretty pretty baller as well. Damn. Have you played Vintners? I've not. I Neither have I. I I'm curious I think about I did it. in a, jun a Bennett Valley Junior League event really? when I was like 11. Good Lord. And I remember thinking it was fucking dumb. Because <laughs> they had no yardage markers anywhere uh, on the golf course. Uh, I see. And I was thinking to myself, what kind of a buffoon-ass golf establishment doesn't have any sort of yardage indicators anywhere? I mean, that's super old school. It, very, very old school. It had a 150-yard stake on one side of the fairway. How did it work with the old PGA guys? Because I'm sure they had yardage books. That must have been it, right? Yeah. And, and they might have had... You know, 200, 150, 100 on some courses, but not all of them. Sure. Certainly not in Europe. And I know because they probably didn't have the yardages written out on the sprinklers like they do today at a lot of places. No, no. But I know that, like, for instance, if I'm going back to my experience at Cyprus, the caddies in their books, they have, you know, their book where it shows, you know, from this sprinkler head to this part of the green, it's this distance. And back in the day, most of the, even the, the better pros didn't have their own caddies that would travel with them, right? They took on caddies at the clubs. That's a good question. I'm not I'm not totally sure about that. Yeah, I think that probably was the old model. It okay. certainly was, you know, for I know it was for the masters. That I mean, I could still see that logic holding up today like, hey, if I'm going to play a golf course, do I want my caddy or do I want a guy who's walked this golf course a thousand times and knows every single slope and grain of, you know, grass at this place? Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe I'd go with the latter. I don't know. All right. I'm going to move on just, just for the uh, the sake of brevity. There's one other bit of news that I wanted to run by before we get into the uh, 
the last topic of the podcast. It's it's another news item concerning real Trump's estate sales and development. Obstruction of justice. Oh, sorry. No. Real estate development. Uh, there is a rumor, a substantiated rumor, that a recently... So a fact. Yes. Well, or, or no, it's still a rumor. It's still a rumor, but it, you know, I, I it's have, got a little bit, a little bit of potential weight to it. In you know, in the traditional you know Trump reporting mantra, as you just did, you know, obviously my sources are anonymous. <laughs> hey, well, you know, <laughs> I have it on good word that a recently closed Sonoma County golf course may be coming back. Hmm. Oh, oh, I'm getting excited if it's the one I'm thinking about. Mm, maybe oh, not. no, it's the other one. Yeah, it's the other one. Oh. Which one were you thinking of? <laughs> you were thinking of Los Arroyos. I was. <laughs> I was. I loved that place. That's amazing. I would have been happy. If, if, if Los Arroyos got a little bit of polish to it, that would be fun. That would be so kick-ass if that place came back. It's a pitch and putt. Oh, dude. I'm it, it's like, okay, remember Los Arroyos. Here was the best part about it. It had its own pitch and putt. I know. Version of itself. It was a long pitch and putt with a secondary short pitch and putt yeah, to boot. It, it was great. Oh, man. It was awesome. like if Vern Troyer had like a smaller <laughs> brother who was like his sidekick. But... Anyway, if he had his own mini me, right? <laughs> mini, mini him. Uh, so it, you're probably thinking of Adobe, right? Yes. So the rumor is, and here's the crazy thing: Edna Springs, a nine-hole golf course, granted with a clubhouse that cost twenty million dollars to build ten years ago, is on sale for forty-five million dollars. Um, but that also includes an, an additional, you know, a good chunk of acreage in addition to the golf course, right? Because that's where all like the the buildings and everything like that of the resort was. If if I'm not getting too crazy, Adobe Creek's property for like the golf course, golf course, is on sale for about three and a half million dollars. Really, and they're interesting. Is rumored to be a Petaluma-based group of investors that are thinking about buying it, renovating it, and turning it into a nice eighteen-hole private golf club in Petaluma. Ah, private. What are your thoughts on this? That's a good question. Um, do, you, do you think economically it can survive? No. No. Probably not. There's too many other private clubs that are around. But the, Petaluma, only, other, the only other private club in Petaluma is the nine-hole Petaluma Golf and Country Club. I think it it could compete with that favorably. But if you're trying to attract the San Francisco crowd, that's a tough sell because mm-hmm. they've got the Meadow Club and they've got... But you can't get in a Meadow Club. They've got the East Bay Clubs too. Yeah. I, I, Petal- think, th- I think they're actually going to be trying to appeal to southern sonoma county residents the ones who don't want to drive up to santa rosa golf and country club i mean as somebody yeah, who's, as somebody who's looking at real estate prices every single day you know you know houses that are sold you know being put on the market everything like that petaluma is thriving right now real estate prices in petaluma are through the roof and it's actually one of the more in-demand places in sonoma county to move to right now especially if Petal- you're a little bit younger petaluma's city council did it's Petaluma's got a weird kind of, in my opinion, kind of fucked up street plan that's nobody's nobody living is to blame. Sure, but um, the city council did a really good job in the last couple of years redoing the downtown zoning code, and now the sort of hip downtown area of Petaluma is is hitting its hitting its stride, and it's, and great it's becoming down there. it's becoming a much more livable city than than it ever has been. Totally. So, but. Petaluma residents, there just aren't that many of them. And so they would need to be appealing to, like, the Novato right. crowd. But here's here's the bright side. If you want to join a private club in Novato, um, you can't join Meadow Club. There's a 10-year waiting list. First Alistair McKenzie design in America. For, so people just are all up on it. So the Novato people probably go over to American Canyon to play, right? Well, so, here, so here's your other two here's your other two options. I mean, American Canyon, you can go to Hiddenbrook, but Hiddenbrook... I'm not the biggest fan. It's not in the best of shape. And, you know, God rest his soul, you know, Arnold Palmer, the king, not the greatest golf course architect. You know, I'm mean, so... Although is Adobe that great of a golf course? But this is why they would not just, like, restore it. I'm, I, th- I think they're talking about wiping the slate clean. You think so? I would hope so. Not because here's the thing. You listen to, you know, you were part of our top Sonoma County public golf course podcast that we did last year. I don't think I had a kind word for Adobe. Um, 
I didn't hate Adobe. Like I thought Adobe was a fair golf course, but it was very obvious that when you'd go out and play it, you'd think to yourself, this place could be so much better. I'm not even sure I thought that. I, it's been a long time. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to disbelieve the idea that it could be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm sure that uh, people a lot more creative than me could do great things with it. But what, if you brought a, it's hard for me to think about because when I whenever I'd played there, I I didn't I, I wasn't satisfied with it. That's right. Just, that's the only way I could put well, it. Well, because they they uh, to, in their defense or in your defense, you know, in 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 everybody's defense. They just didn't have that much money to put in the golf course. There was only so much they could do with the limited budget they had. I think that the conditioning I never really um, was was critical it of. Was, and it I was thought it was, a, it was a well-run golf course. I thought the design was bad. I see. I actually kind of agree with that. But that's just because I tend to think that most Robert Trent Jones Jr. golf courses are inflamed, pimply buttholes. They kind of suck. These golf courses... For the exception of the ones that he... Now, granted... I'm moderately confident that he actually doesn't design almost any of the golf courses that bear his name anymore. But for a long time, he did. And I think when those were built, he had a much larger impact on think, you know, his golf courses, where now he's got so many different project managers who are really, really talented. That's why you get a Chambers Bay. That's why you get a new Poppy Hills that doesn't look anything like courses that he's designed for the last three decades. Well, can I tell you why it'll never be like that? Please. Because it's in a housing development. So here's here's the secret. But only six of the holes are in a housing development. It doesn't that, seem like that. That's is what, it really only six holes? That's what gives me hope, yeah. It's only six holes. Okay, well, that might be different. But while I'm on the subject, as a general matter, the reason, and everybody knows this, but I'm just going to put it right on the table, the reason that they build golf courses and housing developments together is, you know, not for the golf course. Believe me, the golf course has nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. They put a golf course in there not because it's supposed to be a good golf course. They put it in there because... It helps sell the houses. It helps sell the houses. And the reason why it sells the houses is not even because the people play golf. It's because people want to have... A o- open space. Open space that is not open to the public. That is never going to be developed. Right. Because they don't want uh, the riffraff, uh, in their opinions... Uh, being anywhere near their house. Quite literally not in and, my backyard. And they also don't want any buildings in that area. So the golf course really is barely a golf course. It's really just open space with a, a flag stick and a hole mm-hmm. that serves as a buffer zone for a lot of people who don't want any kind of uh, potential neighbors and they don't even want to be next to a park that would be open to the public. So that that's why they put golf courses in there and they're, they're almost universally afterthoughts. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting too because I think uh, Adobe specifically... Um, so Adobe Creek Golf Course in Petaluma, um, there's some sort of stipulation in the contract for the golf course and the homeowners association that there has to be a golf course there through 2039. So even though the golf course has been shut down since you know the turn of the new year on January 1st, there can never be anything there except for a golf course until how long? How far away is 2039? Hey, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you math anyway 20 something years from now until it can be anything except a golf course all right it's stipulated in the homeowner association and so the hoa pays to keep the golf course not exactly it's just i i don't know those details so right. I, I can't say one way or the other however i think that's why the sales price for adobe isn't higher is because the use of the land is limited to only a golf course so maybe that is what's depressing the real estate valley because there's only one use you can ever have with this land that probably is it you know, like, yeah. yeah, you know, if I were on the market for that land, I would want to be turning it into residential Obviously, and yeah. I would pay off the HOA to, to rescind the contract The you know, I'm sure there's an amount of money that, although who knows, like the HOA governance usually is pretty staunch. Mm-hmm. So there yeah. might not be a price. Yeah. And, but here, think about this though. So if you think about the old Adobe Creek golf course, the only holes that actually played with housing alongside of them was four through nine first second and third holes didn't have any housing on them and the whole back nine has no housing on it okay it's just holes three through nine if you brought in a really excellent young architect to kind of come in and reroute and kind of you know do a minimalist type thing where they're not going to move too much land you know keep the cost down like let's say you bring we had um jay blasey on the podcast on the last the one, the guy who 
more or less designed Chambers Bay um, and did some other, you know, really, really awesome golf courses. <laughs> and, you know, bring someone like him or Jackson Kahn, the guys who have basically been building Tom Fazio's courses for him for 20 years or, you know, however long they've been working for him and basically managing his projects or all these major golf course architects. Some of them have, they all have varying degrees of involvement in their projects. But one thing you can guarantee is they have outstanding guys on their crew who are more or less running those projects on a day-to-day -day basis who are all slowly going out on their own. If you tabbed one of those guys, like one thing that one guy that comes to mind is, I think his name is Keith Reb, who worked for Corin Crenshaw forever. He still works for them on different projects, but he's starting to kind of try to do some more solo work. If you had someone like that to come up and Corin Crenshaw, yeah. Adobe Creek, yeah, you're into a private club. You make a point. That could be fucking kick ass. Well, let me get to I think what my big problem with it was. Then. I mean, it was the housing the housing development aspect of it that you're not going to be able to reverse. But let's you know accept that most of the golf course doesn't have that problem. Sure. The problem with a lot of those courses that have been sort of designed in the 90s and and whenever you know, that era of golf, 80s, 90s, sure. is that they all tried to be parkland courses with, with rough and trees. And it was inappropriate for a bunch of landscape with like gentle hills that had very few trees or no trees on them that were fundamentally grassland. And that's what I think of when I think of Petaluma. It's really not a, a, a forested town. No. And it's naturally a windswept kind of uh, tiny hills, you know, plane it's a plane yeah and so the course that you should put there is kind of a a links course a links course it's funny. and you try to keep it dry and and then you know rooster run they make too many mistakes also with tr trying to be trees and rough and stuff but mm -hmm. there are are moments in that golf course where it's really a links course it, it plays close to one it's very it's very dried out windswept very exposed they could have done a better job designing it to accept, uh, you know, d different kind of running shots. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm at, I'm at Rooster Run and I hit drivers off the deck and I'm hitting punch shots. And um, you you need to kind of commit even further yeah. to a vision like that. And without the big giant fucking lakes, I mean, that's death for a Lynx course with sure. a bunch of wind. It, it, it saps everybody's energy but well, anyway just not trying to fit a, a square peg in a round hole right and i think that's why if they do reopen this as a you know a private club if they try to run out the same golf course that was there before in just slightly nicer conditions i'm not sure how encouraged i'd be that it's going to work out right. i think if they're going to do it they have to do what i'm envisioning them do and scrape that shit clean and make something way better yeah because it gets back to one of those things where the potential is there the the land is there to make a really really kick-ass golf course could be they just have to do it so yeah, i thought I that mean, was an interesting bit of a little bit less sonoma county golf less course. rough more bunkers fewer water hazards jay blasey when i interviewed him one of the things that i remember him saying that was awesome he's like i hate rough rough is bad rough is so dumb i mean if, it, it, it hurt it only hurts bad players really Here's you know, like, well, what's, what's the point of having rough? I think that the reason rough evolved on, a, and you know way more than I do about golf course architecture, but doesn't rough not make sense when it's windy? Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. It just makes no sense on a windy golf course. No. If you have a windy golf course with rough, it's, it's too penal. It's too unpredictable. If you're a really good golfer, you're not hitting that many shots in the rough anyway. And unless you're playing at a course that's set up as like, you know, a tournament level conditions where the rough is very penalizing, the rough doesn't even matter to you. The only people that rough ever really affects are bad golfers. Good golfers, they're hitting it to specific spots in the fairway to have ideal angles into greens with which they can have then makeable birdie putts. All right. And it's not just if you widen up the fairway, it's not going to change those guys' games at all. All you're going to do is make the game now hold wait wait for this. This is bad. More fun. Right. For fucking simpletons like you and me and most people listening to this podcast. And it's been like a drug that a lot of good courses have fallen for. Like, you, you think about the Olympic Club. And I know it's a very humid, uh, you know, it's 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 a, you know, it's easy to grow thick penal rough there. And it, make, sure. it seems like it makes sense. But the the slopes are so violent on the Olympic Club that if you put penal rough, it is just fundamentally unfair. 
on certain shots. And you have to, there's one shot that'll hold the fairway and maybe not even that one. But you also kind of have to have rough at Olympic Club because if it's all fairway, you're going to hit the middle of a hole and it's going to roll four fairways over. And well, you have to have <laughs> enough rough to stop the ball. Right. But just enough to stop the ball. Just enough to stop the ball. Right. And that's the other purpose of rough is to stop a ball. Sure. But if you make it longer than that, then you're just going out of your way to penalize a guy. Which is messed up. It is. That's fuck, not very fuck nice. that. I did get to play golf in Kauai. Did you know? Uh, at a public course there. Um, we I, cover Hawaii, too, on the new Golf Guide website, which is supposed to launch really? next week. Oh, that's exciting. Very exciting. So Kauai is the westernmost, oldest Hawaiian island. It's it's medium-sized, and it's got a couple of decent public courses. And uh, it's got Princeville. It's got Poipu. It's got, you know, Nicholas Design, uh, some private courses. Kauai Lagoons is the Nicholas, I think. Oh, okay. Is so, that right? I'm not sure. So uh, I played the public course there. I rented clubs. I, you know, played with my brother. The club rental situation at the public course, it's got, you know, name brand premium clubs, but the stiffness is is lacking. It very much is in need of a Cialis. Uh, so I got out there and, you know, I choose to blame the clubs instead of myself and I uh, hit a lot of slices. It was I, I'm not a slicer. Believe me, ladies and gentlemen, I, my mistakes are are many, but it's not a slice. It's I'm very Judge Smalesy. I don't slice it, but I was slicing it that day. And uh, the Bermuda, it's just very penal. But, and the guy in the pro house, pro shop, excuse me, and, you know, maybe, you know, uh, maybe he was having a bad day. Real dick. But having said all that, uh, beautiful golf course. I mean, it's the terrain, you can't imagine how beautiful it is. Hawaii is so kick-ass. How could could golf on Hawaii not be just really awesome i know but for all the impediments it would have been even more perfect yeah. but it was great well, so you have to go back there with your own sticks here pretty soon so anyway yes uh rough bermuda yeah. rough especially shouldn't exist we've talked about this before bermuda rough is especially nasty they, yeah. they could they could get rid of that altogether and i wouldn't be all that upset right all right are we done i have one more thing to ask you okay it's, it's the last little thing we had on this podcast unless you want to save it for another one let's do it okay uh, because our boy, Rick Vasek, recently came out with an article on golfguide.net where he was talking about nemesis holes. All right. If you don't know what a nemesis hole is, for all of you swingers out there, it's not what you're thinking. All right. A it's, nemesis- not your, it's not your ex-wife. <laughs> oh. oh. All right. Forget that. <laughs> it is that hole that regardless of how many times you play it, it always just seems to get the best of you. You know, if you have a home course, you could play, you know, 18 holes every day. That one hole on your golf course that always manages to kick you right in the twig and berry, regardless of how well you're playing. Everybody's got at least one. I'm human, so I have several. The other the other word for nemesis hole is, is moderately difficult hole. Yes. <laughs> but it's funny because, like, there are some holes out there. Like, um, well, there's many holes out there. But anyway, Rick, when he's writing the column, one hole that he referenced specifically, I wouldn't consider to be that hard of a hole. It's just for him, based on his ball flight, sure. and the one that he referenced, or one of the several ones he referenced in the article, was number seven at Bennett Valley. I can totally understand why you know, somebody it's, would it, have a problem It's a dogleg right where you're, you're hitting your tee shot out of a tiny little chute. And it's actually a challenging approach shot. Even mm-hmm. though the green is large, it's very segmented. And mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of a, a transition wind area. It's uphill. Yeah, you try to cut the corner a little bit. Those big old trees. And there's, bad, golf there's bad misses on that approach there's shot, too. There's a creek too. that a runs all the left misses. side. I mean, it's... It's it's not the easiest hole in the world. No, but you would never put it on any list of like toughest holes. In, no, you know, or anything no, like definitely but not. It's got to be wide fairway. Yeah, but for him specifically, it's really really difficult. And so, what I I'm hoping to do is obviously go you know chat with you about this a little bit. But I want to encourage all the listeners to reach out to us on either Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, whatever it might be. I want to hear what some of those really difficult nemesis holes are out there, and I would love to actually start compiling like a really cool list about like the most common nemesis holes in like all the different you know areas of the Bay Area. I would love to expand it all the way to California and eventually all over the place. It's just a I think it'd be awesome, but we can't do that until you and I start. So yes, nemesis holes. If you, if you haven't thought about yours, I I did write down our publisher Rick, who doubles as my father. Uh, did give me his couple of nemesis holes before he left when I asked him if he had Let's some. Let's hear what his are first. So, and it's really odd, too, because 
only one of these three I would consider to be difficult, which kind of you know reaffirms that idea that it's more specific to the player than in the general difficulty sure. of the whole. Okay. One is actually at the club we were just discussing that's not open anymore, Adobe Creek, and that was number seven. Everybody hated that hole. Everybody hated it. It was fucking hard, but it was also like kind of tricked out, right? It wasn't. Yeah, it was fucked up. It was like a very hard dog leg to the right with a creek about 40 yards in front of the green. And OB through OB, the fairway. all left yeah. side, yeah, yeah. dog leg right. So that one was tough. Now, the other two that he says he always has trouble with, back to Etna Springs. Number six, the n- par four with the blind tee shot, blind approach, no, sorry, the blind approach shot. We're hitting up it's the so hill. so interesting. He he cannot figure that, that hole out. That is so interesting. It's so difficult. And here's the thing. I mean, it's a blind second shot. That's the entire, that's the whole hole. Completely blind second shot. Can't can't see anything. Unless you pipe your drive 330 yards uphill, you will not see the green on your approach shot. Other than that, it's relatively straightforward. There's no other There's element to not the a hole. bunker anywhere on the golf course. There's, There's OB over the green. That's yeah. the only big danger. That's it. But for some reason, he's he just can't figure it out. And the tee shot can set up a little bit, you know, when we played the Chapman Classic uh, two weekends ago, the tee box was set up really f- far to the right, and there's actually a tree that's maybe about 40 yards in front of the tee box that when you put yeah, it that far yeah. on the right side, it all of a sudden comes into play. Yeah. So now, <laughs> for this you know, 380, 390-yard par four, you have to hit a really nice cut or fade yeah. off the tee with mm-hmm. a driver yeah. to get in the fairway. There's trees on left. There's trees right. There's no bunkers, but it's no. It's not. It's the, just really tough for him. Not an easy hole. No, but uh, yeah, it's mostly just a blind shot that makes it hard. Yeah, and his other one. But you know that. Get, that I'm sorry. Go remi- ahead. That reminds me of another one that I might consider putting mm. on my list. But go ahead. The, his uh, his last one because he gave me three was oddly enough, the 330 yard par four, ninth hole at Bodega Harbor. <laughs> yeah, I mean it, it's got OB right and left. It's got bunkers. That, ap- that approach got, shot is inside his head. The approach shot stuff. It's inside his head. He just not a seems for, to fold like a cheap chair. Not a problem for me. Every but. time he hits that approach shot, it's just for some reason it just beats his ass every time he plays that golf course. <laughs> Why I can't figure it out. Well, so sh- should I come up with three? You can come up with however many you want. If there's one that well, stands I, out more than anyone else, you like that's the one. But however many you want, there's there's no rules to this. The thing. first one that comes to mind, and I've never had a huge meltdown on this hole, but I I've never played it very well either. I've parted it once. Mm-hmm. Is number two at Windsor, the par four? Yeah, with the creek on the left and the the giant forest on the right. In your defense, I think when the Nike Tour was playing there back in like the late '90s, they did actually name that hole as one of the more difficult holes on the Nike Tour. Yeah, it's a hard hole. It's yeah. it's fundamentally difficult. Yeah, so that's one of them. I always hit it in the right trees every single time I play it. Um, I'm scared of the creek. What can I What can I tell you, folks? I'm yeah. a big pussy. <laughs> uh, what other holes? <laughs> what other holes are there? Do you want me to mention one that we, I've we got can another go back one? And forth. I've got oh, another one please. that's pretty much the same. Please. And this hole's just fucked up, so I, I don't even. You know, I don't take any of the blame for it. Mm-hmm. Number two at Fountain Grove. Yeah. And not all of us have played that golf course, but... Fuck it, that hole. That hole is really just bad. It's a bad hole. <sighs> yeah. And I've never parted in my no, life. I don't think I've ever parted either. Never once. It is ridiculous. Yeah. That, that is a ridiculous really golf hole. Really badly designed. Now, on the opposite side of the spectrum, the first one that comes to mind for me is a fantastically designed golf hole that just happens to knock my dick into the dirt every time I play it. And that is Alistair McKenzie's nine-hole gem out on the Russian River at Northwood. That ninth hole. Oh, yeah, that's tough. That par five just crushes me. I'll tell you what. I can handle the tee shot. I can handle the layup. I cannot handle the approach shot. I've always flown the green So every single time I play it. If anybody's unfamiliar with this thing, Northwood actually is a pretty short golf course by regulation, you know, golf standards. I think it's 3,000 yards for all nine holes. Granted, it's a par 36. There's two par fives. There's a couple par threes. But there's three short par fours, and that's kind of where a lot of the the yardage is lost. I think, you know, there's three par fours that are 300 yards or shorter. Okay. But number nine is a 535-yard uphill par five where the tee shot, you have to hit up a ravine into a, like a little chute that's maybe 25 to 30 yards wide, there is out of bounds from the left side of the tee box 
all the way to the left side of the green, and that OB is three yards off the left edge of the fairway. And then the whole right side of the hole, thick, dense redwoods that just want to beat you in the eye and not say they're sorry. It is brutal. It shouldn't be that hard. All you got to do is hit the ball straight. It's only 530 yards. Hit a hybrid off the tee. There's hit a five iron for your second shot. Hit a nine iron in the green. There's an easy way. It, it shouldn't be that hard. It's There's an easy way for me to do the first two shots, and you just favor the right. Yeah. You hit it off, off to the right, and then you probably can recover from there. At the very least, you'll have a par putt, even if you miss it in the right trees. Where I fuck up on that hole is with the approach. I never do it right, ever. It's fucking hard. That green is severely sloped, and if you are long, you are fucked. The front third of the green cannot have pins located there because it's just so intensely... It's just a big-ass false front. Almost the entire front half of the green is basically a false front. You're right. If the green were flatter, I would not have a hard time with that hole. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I've thought of my last candidate, and it's probably going to, you know not be that relatable and i'm lucky enough to have had you and other people take me out to this golf course sure number 10 at my comma that it, one would beat my ass as well it is often. not the longest hole no. it is a dog leg left par four that goes up and around and then down over a small you know hill yeah and to the left it's a big giant hazard and a fairway bunker that is bad positioning mm-hmm. and then to the right it's ob mm-hmm and then the approach shot is not that hard, but it's no pushover either, and you have to it's a carry over a hazard. Yeah. And my problem with that hole is the tee shot. It just gets in my head. So can I ask you a question? Yes. First of all, number ten in my comment, dog leg left, what's it, maybe three hundred and seventy, three hundred and eighty yeah. yards? Yeah, plays a little longer than that, but you know, in the fifty times I've played that golf course, I maybe have parred it three times. It's a hard hole. It's yeah, for it's some hard. reason it just it, yeah, it's really really tough. Now here's the other question: for something to be quote unquote a nemesis hole, it can't be in the top what handicap for the course. So if it's one of like yeah, if if by handicap it's designated as one of the X number of hardest holes in the golf course, then it's just a hard hole. It can't be like a nemesis hole. I guess you think, is, that, is that a fair rule or I, anything? Any hole can be a nemesis that's, hole. That's regardless fair. of of handicap. If that's the way we're going to define it, then that's fine. I, I don't know. I, I was just I just thought of it off the top of my head. I mean, if that were the case, then I don't think two of my choices would be valid anymore. Why not? Because they are probably the hardest holes at the course: two at Windsor and two at Fountain Grove. Yeah, I, I guess. All right. What what you're saying is, I just came up with a really shitty rule. No, which, no, it's uh, a good rule, but no, I, it would take me longer. I'm I'm. Far too impatient to come mm. up with my answer to the other one. Okay. Well, one of my nemesis souls would then be disqualified as well, and that's the opener at Bodega. Yeah. Oh, Number one at Bodega. I've never parred that hole either. I might have three-putted that green every time I've putted uh, on it. You know what? I am I grew up out of Bodega. I'm part, I'm part of the men's club out there. I play was, there. I thought you were going to say you're part whale. <laughs> I play out there all the time. I will say, here's a nice little humble brag for you. I have a home-at-home match. With the men's club on Wednesday. Wish I got to play golf on a weekday. At Meadow Club. Oh, my God. Suck it. <laughs> Sounds lovely. So I will be at Meadow Club at 8 a.m. on Wednesday morning. Enjoy yourself, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, number one at Bodega can go suck a dick. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. That is a oh, fucking a junior, tough golf a, hole. In a junior tournament, I definitely took a 9 or a 10 on that Oh, hole. for sure. I mean, in, in men's league play, I've taken a 10 out there this year from just hitting two balls OB off the tee and then making a double with my third ball. It's super easy to do. It's always nice to start off a round of golf with OB on both sides of the fairway. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's not, it's a wide <laughs> fairway, don't get me wrong, but like, you know, how about give, golf course without a range sends you right out into, it's like the D-Day landing. Yeah. Like, and not to trivialize that, yeah, right. but you know, you, the, the fucking trap door comes down and then all of a sudden there's the beach and you know, you have to go storm it. Oh man. Yeah. It's brutal. One other one I'd probably name, and this is just me trying just as hard as I possibly can to sound like I'm way cooler than I really am. But that's that's life. That's what we all do. 16 at Cyprus with a 240. <laughs> all right, where you stop talking. Let's two, send the podcast. For, a I'm not going to let you carry. do it. I'm not going to let you do a it, Kyle. A 240 carry, 260 it. carry into the wind. Yeah, fuck yourself. Someone with short, stubby, non-muscular arms like myself, how are they supposed to do that? Nobody wants to hear it. All right, that's fair enough. Did I sound cool, though? No, 
because I talked over you. God damn it. All right. Well, that's it. You got anything else you want to add? Uh, just that I love you. I love you too, man. This is... Damn, it's so good to have you back. Let's it, let, let's try not to wait so long before we do this again. Uh, absolutely not. Oh, this Thank is you, wonderful. ladies and gentlemen. Uh, have a wonderful uh, week. Absolutely. Go play golf. And if you are listening to this, I, I want to give all of you a incredibly unsubtle reminder. Five-star reviews on iTunes. That's all you got to do. How do you, you... You're asking yourself, yo, these guys are moderately entertaining... You know, they, they like to talk about golf. They if, kind if, of know what they're talking here, about here, once in a while. Here's the thing. If like, you are, how can I support these guys? If you're listening to that sales pitch just now, which doesn't cost you anything, by the way. <laughs> if you're listening to it, that means you've listened to this whole fucking thing. Yeah. And if you did that, you have to give it five stars or else you're a fucking liar. Yeah. Five stars on iTunes. That's all we're asking. That's Three. the best way you could possibly support this Admit podcast. Admit you like it. Admit it. Yeah, or admit you listen to the whole thing. Yeah, that, that alone is crazy. It means you like it. Yeah, you like it. So, yeah, five stars on iTunes. That would be super helpful. I, I would love that. Also, don't forget about our sponsors. You know we have sponsors? Of course I do. <laughs> Obviously I do. Uh, that's where I spend all my money. Well, golfguide.net. New website should be debuting next week. That's very exciting. Great place to save money on greens fees all over Northern California. And I, also, I use it all the time. Seamus Golf is an official sponsor of the podcast. Obviously. <laughs> Kick-ass head covers, golf accessories, dinner you know, repair mar- tools, I'm all in, that stuff. I'm in the market for all that stuff. Well, lucky for you, you can go to SeamusGolf.com, S-E-A-M-U-S, Golf.com. See, everybody really... You get you know, lit, fam. Well, here's the deal. It's about to be the summer golf season. you got to upgrade that shit. Don't do it, you know, in the fall when nobody's going to get a chance to see it. You know, sh- show off a little bit. I'm going to talk to my guy up there. I'm going to see if I can get us some really kick-ass head covers. Maybe hey, you know what? Pink Hawaiian print head covers you know for what? the I'm, summer. I'm sure that the, the prices are, are so fair that I'm just going to go ahead and buy them straight up. Why not yeah, do I'm, it? I don't need any freebies. Why not do it? But that's it. That's it for sponsors. That's it for us. Anything else you want to tell these simpletons before we, we go off the air? Uh, You know, no. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done too. They've gotten enough out of me. Goodbye, everybody. It's enough already. Goodbye.